right, Traders Point, how are we doing today? For those that don't know me, my name is Bart. I get to serve as our Carmel campus pastor. And I'm so grateful to be sharing with our church here again today. I'm so honored. Much love to everyone here watching online and at all of our campuses around the city. I'm excited to road trip with you today. You guys are ready for a road trip? Let's go. If you are uh, new here, Pastor Ryan last week kicked off that series for us. We're calling Summer Road Trip. Uh, in this series, we're looking at Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, he forged new ground to build the early church. And Paul was the OG church planter and missionary. Much of his story is covered in the biblical book of Acts. And that's where we're going to set sail from today. We're going to travel through these incredible stories and accounts together. Back a couple weeks ago on July 4th, it was recorded that we set an all-time record. 50 million Americans traveled more than 50 miles outside of their home base. It felt like about 48 million went to the exact same place I did. I don't know if you traveled, but you might have felt the same way. At all of our campuses, how many of you traveled over that week more than 50 miles? Let's see the hands going up. They're all over the place at all campuses, I'm sure. We all contributed to that statistic. And that's the great thing about road trips. We can all identify. We all have stories. I remember heading down to Florida on I-65, making record time, hit Nashville, and bam, two hours of gridlock traffic. Can anybody identify with that one? Oh yeah, okay, we got a few. I remember the first time we saw mountains, amazing. Or the first time we saw the beach, or the first time we saw Bucky's. Oh my goodness, all, yes. All amazing, just for very different reasons. One time I was coming back from Atlanta, and I remember in the car we were sitting there and it, an ice storm came upon us. We ended up counting more than 30 cars that slid off the road. One of them was doing 60 backwards. It was crazy, crazy. And you guys all have road trips of your own that you have experienced. And I want us to think about it this way. What is common in those road trip stories that we share? What makes for a great road trip? I just got back from a 12-hour road trip a couple weeks ago, like we just mentioned. And you always see two things. The first one is this. There's a destination. There's a destination. There's a purpose. There's somewhere that you're going, whether that's to see the mountains or the beach or Disney or Grandma's house or the world's largest ball of twine. I don't know. If that was your vacation, I'm so, so sorry. It sounds terrible. You're going somewhere. You're going somewhere. That's our first point. There is a destination. The second one is this. Every road trip is better when it's shared with someone else. It is shared with others. Road trips are great because we share them. They're, of course, as a destination. But great memories often happen along the way. And let's face it. Sometimes you just need people to commiserate with. You need people to share in the madness, share in the pain. There was a survey conducted just a couple years ago that said 87% of people surveyed said that a road trip was one of the very best ways that families and friends could bond together. And we know why. We all know why. You're literally trapped inside a vehicle for hours with people, friends, family, maybe strangers. I don't know your road trips. Proximity is a powerful tool. It can also be a powerful smell, <laughs> if, you, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm the oldest of four boys, many road trips. I got a couple of my own. There is no cabin filter equipped to handle beef jerky and body odor. There's just not. Technology has come a long way, but we just haven't got that far yet. As we look at Paul and Acts today, we're going to see both, not the body odor and, and the beef jerky, but we're going to see that the destination uh, is important and also traveling together. 
We're going to look at incredible and memorable stories, people, places, destinations, and the journeys to get there. And they're all accounting the origins of this new early movement that followed Jesus called the church. So I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to tap or turn to Acts chapter 17. That's where we're going to be today. Let's load up the van. Let's bust out the combos and the hot tamales. Yes, those are the best treats for the road. And let's road trip together. You guys ready for the road trip? Let's go. As we jump in, I want to briefly set the stage for you. Paul is the primary leader of the early church. He is a brilliant theologian. He was a former religious elite known as a Pharisee. Jesus got a hold of his life and it fundamentally changed him. He went from murdering disciples to making disciples. It was a remarkable change. He becomes the definition of all in. He begins to share the good news of Jesus boldly, that he was indeed the promised Messiah, that he was God in the flesh, and he completed that long-awaited plan to offer freedom and forgiveness to all people. It is an unbelievable account. So he sets out with his travel companions to share this message and to plant churches in a place where it had never been planted. Chapter 16 kicks off the second missionary journey of Paul's. And he moves from modern-day Turkey into Greece, following a vision that he received from God to go there. And it ends, chapter 16, with Paul being jailed, released, and essentially booted out of Philippi. This is pretty commonplace for Paul and his companions. So let's continue that road trip together. Chapter 17, let's read and follow along together. Verse 1. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia. And they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue there. Now let's go ahead and stop there for just a moment. I want you guys to see it because sometimes it's helpful. I love maps. I'm a map nerd. We got any other map nerds in here? Uh, There's nine of us. Okay, great. I thought there would be a few more than that. I know the Carmel campus has my back on that one. Okay, here's, here's the map. So Paul started out here in Jerusalem, and he made his way up into modern-day Turkey, which was Galatia at the time, through the cities of the known world that he was traveling through, jumping up to Philippi at the top of the map. Now he's in Greece. This is where chapter 16 takes place. Paul goes to jail. He gets booted, and he and his companions travel three-day journey to Thessalonica. He then will go to Berea, which we'll touch on in a little bit, Next week down to Athens, Corinth, and then eventually Ephesus and on his way back to Jerusalem. So you get a chance to see where Paul was going. This was a big trip. I mean, this is on foot largely. So Thessalonica is a major city. It is the second most populated city in Greece today. It's still a thriving city. It's the regional capital of Macedonia. It's got 3,000 years of consecutive history. This is where Paul will plant a church. He's going to write his letters to the Thessalonian church eventually to that place. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So let's look at verse 2 together. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. And for three Sabbaths in a row, say it with me, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He used the scriptures. What a powerful statement. It wasn't just popular opinion. It wasn't majority voices. It wasn't wise and persuasive words, as he would sometimes say. These are the kind of disciples that we are called to be and aim to be here at Traders Point. I'm entering my 20th year of ministry, my seventh year here on the team at Traders Point, And it's one of the things I love so much about our church, about our leadership, about our lead pastor, Aaron. We don't change our views based on culture or the majority. We change them and follow God's word. Aren't you so glad to be a part of a church like that? Amen. Now, are we always right? 
unlikely, but we do our best and that is our aim. We use God's word, not our own, to filter those things that we decide and follow after. So verse three, he explained the prophecies and he proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about, he is the Messiah. He uses God's word, rationale, logic, facts to make a case for Jesus. He's telling them, guys, you know the scriptures. You've studied them your whole life. These are prophecies that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. And he fulfilled them all. Look, believe the truth. And many of them did. They began to put their hope and faith in Jesus as God softened their heart. We see that here in verse 4. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. How cool. However, we're told now in verse 5, but some of the Jews were jealous. Uh-oh. They did what jealous people do. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and to start a riot. Just imagine putting yourself in the shoes of these early believers and Paul and Silas. And some things don't change. We don't live in the same marketplace culture as they did in that day, at least not most of us. But we still see this happening in some of our city centers today. And we certainly see it happening in the digital marketplace where you'll often hear jealousy, misinformation, mudslinging attack, and even worse. And that's kind of what's happening here. Continuing on, verse 5. They attacked the home of Jason. Guys, this is a new believer. Searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. My goodness. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Now I want us to stop here for just a moment because I don't want you to miss something that's really significant that can be found here in the text and some extra things that go with it. I want especially those of you who maybe are a little bit like me. Maybe you're a little more analytical, a little more critical. If that's your default, you want, I want you to hear this. The word that we just read that is translated city council is the Greek word politarch. It's used in verse 6. It's also used in verse 8. And it's translated city officials or city council. For years, many biblical critics pointed to this as a reason as to why Acts was unreliable. It was mythological. It couldn't be trusted. The dates were way off. Their reasoning was because this word Polytarchus was not found until much later. You couldn't find it in Greek manuscripts and literature of that time. You couldn't find it in inscriptions. And so they concluded this was just not true. That is, until they found it. I got a picture here for you. This is an inscription that was taken from Thessalonica at the same time Acts claims to have taken place. And in this inscription, it uses the word Polytarchus. You probably can't read it. I can't either. It's kind of hard to see and I can't read Greek all that well. But Polytarchus is in there. And that is a word that was found at that time. They have since found multiple ones of these. This is on display at the British Museum in London. It's a huge find. And there's tons of other archaeological finds that have proven again and again the reliability and the credibility of God's word. It's another example as to why we too can use the scriptures to reason with people. Pretty cool, huh? So let's continue on. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they're disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They're all guilty of treason against Caesar. That's the highest charge they could lay on someone. They profess allegiance to another king, a king named Jesus. 
At least they got that part right. Verse 8, the people of the city, as well as the Politarchus, the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. Now that's probably a bit more intense than most of the road trips you and I have been on. But I remember maybe one time my first roundabout experience, not here, surprisingly, but in Hilton Head many years ago. I think I probably did a full three laps around that bad boy before someone laid on their horn and let me have it. They were at least gracious enough to gesture to me that I was number one, so that was pretty nice. <laughs> pretty heavy persecution going on there for me. Paul was probably in Thessalonica for several months, making disciples, teaching them doctrine. Of course, he spent the first couple weeks telling these Jewish believers that Jesus was indeed the fulfilled Messiah. He would have taught them much more as he made disciples. We get pieces of that in First and Second Thessalonians. And we'll take a peek at that here in a little bit. Now, we established earlier today that every road trip has a destination, a purpose. So we have to ask the question, what was Paul's? What was Paul's purpose? What was the destination that he was shooting for? Paul was on a road trip and the purpose that he had was very clearly to fulfill the great commission. The last words that Jesus gave us while on earth was the commission to go and make disciples. If you have been a part of Trader's Point any length of time, you've heard us share this many times. Aaron has shared it with us multiple times. It is the core mission of every church that truly believes God's word. You can't get away from that. So I want us to review it again today. So it's here on the screen. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, be careful to notice a few things. It doesn't say go and make converts. It says go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how do we make those disciples? I'm glad you asked. Right here in the Great Commission. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Love Jesus. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them and then teach them to obey all the commands Jesus gave us. This is the mission of the church. The mission of the church is a disciple-making mission. This is a road trip that is still in progress. We are all a part of this road trip, fulfilling it together. So what I want to do today is I want to just unpack a few more things. I want to dis uh, describe a few definitions for you so you can better understand disciple and disciple making. Because they sometimes get confusing. If you're not in church very often, maybe that's an unfamiliar word to you. I want to define them for you. So here's the first one. Disciple. And you guys can write this down. There's a lot of definitions, but I tried to make it as easy as I possibly could. Disciple is someone following Jesus by obeying him. You see how that's pulled right from the text. What's a disciple? Someone following Jesus by obeying him. And you'll notice the distinction there. Not just following Jesus, not just believing in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. They're not following Jesus. So someone who's following him, putting their trust in him, and obeying the things that he said. They're coming, becoming like him. That's a disciple. So what is a disciple maker then? Disciple making is this. Entering into relationships to help others follow Jesus. Entering into relationships to help others follow Jesus. There's intentionality. There's purpose behind the reason why we engage in certain relationships. Even the intentionality in the ones we already have with family and friends and children and things like that. Enter into relationships to help others follow Jesus. But I don't want you to miss this today. You can't be a disciple without being a disciple maker. 
It's actually illogical. It doesn't make any sense because Jesus' words were go and make disciples. So if you're not obeying those words, you're not a disciple. So you'd be making disciples. You guys see where I'm going. Paul knew this and he gave it everything he had to follow after that mission. So much of our world is so overly self-centric when it comes to a lot of things and discipleship's the same. We make it about me, my needs, my growth, my development. But when we look at a biblical worldview, it says you need to be others-focused, not self-focused. And here's the crazy thing that happens when you do. You grow. You grow like you never would if you focus only on yourself. It requires you to focus on others. We want to be a disciple-making church here at Traders Point. I have the privilege of also getting to lead our discipleship and groups team here at Traders Point. And our mission, the purpose for our team, is to develop and deploy disciple-makers. That's it. We want to develop and deploy disciple makers. So disciple making, friends, is the destination. So what's the destination? You guys got it. You're following the leader so, so well. You guys remember that game, Follow the Leader? Or Simon Says, right? I don't know who that guy Simon was. He got his name attached to that. But Simon Says, you do the thing. If they don't say, you don't do it. You guys know. Let's play it together. All campuses. Simon Says, touch your nose. You guys are really quick. All right, wiggle your ears and stick out your tongue. No, Simon didn't say. I saw some of you do it. Okay, Simon says, wiggle your ears and stick out your tongue. Don't move. Hang on really quick. I got to tell Aaron how you guys treated me when he was out. Oh, my goodness. Disciple making is the most important game of follow the leader you will ever play. Now, there are countless tools and systems and studies and books on discipleship. They're all great. I advocate for them. But I'm going to make it really simple for you. Discipleship is not a program. It's a person. Discipleship is not a program. It is a person. You are following a person, namely Jesus. But the reality is Jesus designed specifically the church to work in a follow the leader kind of way. Jesus is our primary aim. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be following another follower of Jesus and have another one following you. That's the way it works. Whenever I have the opportunity to talk about disciple making, it always brings me back to an example that happened in my life many years ago. My youngest son, uh, Camden, decided he wanted to do martial arts. And he was fulfilling my childhood dream of becoming the karate kid. Wax on, wax off. I'm the oldest of four boys. I spent about half my childhood in the crane pose. So kicking my brothers in the face. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the movie, Google it. I began to watch him and I began to, I was just astounded at what I saw because I began to see so many correlations and parallels between the church and disciple making. And so these are a few observations I noticed along the way. The first one was all were welcome. It was 100% okay to know nothing, to start as a white belt, to come as you are. And I think that's one of the things that we get right as a church. Traders Point does a great job of saying, come as you are. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to believe what we believe. You're welcome here. Come, come. And we do that great. And that's something I noticed uh, in these Taekwondo classes. It was their call to decide if they wanted to move forward, but it was a great environment to say, come as you are. The second thing I noticed is this. While it was okay to start as a white belt, it wasn't okay to stay a white belt. You didn't see anybody there three months later saying like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I'm a white belt. I'm proud of my white belt. No, 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 no. There was an expectation that they were working and taking steps towards growth to level up. 
I think that's one of the things we sometimes miss in the church, our teams and us collectively. One other thing I noticed, and this was probably the most significant one to me, a month or so into this training and learning, Camden leveled up and he became a yellow belt. I actually got a picture of it here for you. Look at that cutie pie, five years old. He gave me permission. He's here today. Thanks, buddy. Yellow belt. He went from a white belt to a yellow belt. And here's the thing that blew me away. It wasn't the black belts and the upper level belts that were teaching the white belts what to do next. It was him. All of the yellow belts were now teaching the white belts what they had just learned. They were so far from being masters. It's not even funny. I mean, look at it. He's got questions. He doesn't know the answers. Just like you and just like me. But he took what he had been given and he gave it away. They followed the one in front of them and the one behind them followed them. Church, this is disciple making at its best. It's our destination. Paul talked about this a lot throughout scripture. He talks about imitation and he talks about replication. We see this in his letters that he wrote to the church we're looking at today, Thessalonica. He said in 1 Thessalonians, we lived among you for your sake and you became imitators of us. That imitation was inerrant to what he was trying to do. That was the destination. And in chapter 2, he said, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Our road trip is about making disciples, period. Now, a lot of things can go into that bucket. It can look a lot of different ways. But ultimately, it's about imitating him and imitating those who follow him. As you read God's word, you'll notice that Paul never really traveled alone. He always had companions. He always had people he was investing in, discipling, pouring into. You see that as well in 1 Thessalonians. He says, we shared our lives with you. We shared the gospel with you and we loved you so much. We know the destination is disciple making and it's designed to be shared together, shared with others. All right, everybody back in the van. We have one more destination we're gonna go to together today. Paul and Silas are now traveling together. They get booted out of Thessalonica. They get sent to the next city, which on our map was Berea, which is about a two-day journey down the road. He meets different people that are uh, much more favorable towards him and Silas and their message. They're open to hearing what they had to say, but they weren't gullible. I want you to hear what they said in verse 11. Let's look at that here together. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. Look at this. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So how can we know what is true? Isn't this the question of our day? Your truth, my truth, what's true? Know God's word. Know the scriptures if you want to know truth. You can't simply take someone's word for it. Not even mine. I would never knowingly lead any one of you astray, but I'm imperfect and I have to do the same thing. I have to study God's word to know if it's true. If you don't know God's word and what he says, how can you obey it? If we don't know what's true, then we allow truth to be created and agreed upon by culture, a majority, or the loudest voice. This is largely where our world is, amen? Our road trip is meant to be shared with others. You guys see this. They examined the scriptures every day together. Have you guys ever had an insatiable desire to hear from God? 
to read his word? Maybe when you first believed. Maybe when someone poured into you or you came alive in your faith. Maybe you went through rooted here and you just came alive and sparked your faith and you couldn't get enough of God's word. I remember several points along my own journey where that was true and has been true. And it almost always involved other people. So let's get that back. Let's know the truth so we can teach others to follow it. Church, we have baptized over 400 people this year alone. Amen? Gosh. And so I say to you, get with others. Know the truth. Read his word. Obey it. It's a far better way to live. You are not meant to go at this alone. Just like every good road trip, there's power in proximity. You need people around you. Consistency, proximity, they're so critical. Why do you think we say serve regularly? Get in your group and stay committed to your group. Show up here on Sunday. It's because it's for your good. It helps you to grow, to stay protected, to be sharpened, to travel together. This weekend, my family and I watched one of those nature documentaries. You guys know the kind, right? The guy with the incredible voice, been on all of them. It's amazing. We watched and there was a, a migration and there was wildebeest. There was a wildebeest that got off the pack, started wandering on his own, and headed off on his own. Guess what happened to that wildebeest? Spoiler alert, he didn't make it. <laughs> he didn't make it. I told you guys how 87% of people said that road trips are one of the best ways to bond. Well, I also conducted another poll of myself. And 100% of me said getting into a group here is one of the best ways you can get involved and plugged in spiritually. Yeah, I'm going to publish that finding one day. At Trader's Point, we have several environments where you can connect, grow with other people, obey God's word, be developed and deployed as a disciple maker on this journey. Our small groups, we have thousands of people in small groups all around our city trying to do that very thing. Youth groups, if you're a student, get involved in youth. It is incredible. They're going to be moving to Wednesdays here in just a few weeks. Get involved in a youth group. Maybe Rooted is a step for you. Rooted is unbelievable. We're going to have it again. We have it several times a year, but we're actually going to pause it this fall. It'll happen again in January, and that's for a reason. We're doing something incredibly unique and special this fall as a church. We're going to do something that's going to operate very similarly to Rooted. It's going to have some short-term groups available for people who aren't yet connected to get involved and to row with our entire church through something together. And I want to strongly encourage you and invite you to be a part of it. In fact, what I want you to do right now is if you are not connected in a group, I want you to grab your phone out and I want to invite you to text the word group to 87221. At all of our campuses, go ahead and text in church, totally fine. Text the word group to 87221. This does not sign you up for a group, just so you know. It just puts you on an interest list. So you're taking a step today so that in a little over a month, we can send you the registration and say, hey, now's the time. Get involved. Get in community. Get out of isolation. If you're already in a group, you don't need to text it. You'll be getting that information as well. Don't miss the opportunities to travel together. In life, so many of us wander aimlessly through it. Or we just simply do the things that we feel like others maybe expect of us, fulfilling what they want for us. Friends, there's a better way. Paul found a destination with meaning and purpose that was so deep that he committed his life to it and he risked his life for it. Paul would go on to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul wasn't perfect, but he lived a life that was worth imitating. Do you? Do we? 
can we say the same thing? I want to challenge you with this question today, and I really want you to think about it. If someone far from God was tasked with observing you this past week, and you were the only point of reference they had for what a Christian is, what would they conclude a Christian is? Think about it. What would they say is important to you? What priorities you have? What characteristics would they see on display in your life? If someone watched you this past week, what would they say a Christian is? Today we see that they knew the destination of the journey was to make disciples. And they also saw that you traveled together, orienting your life around the truth of God's word. When I was 18 years old, I was a freshman at Purdue and I had a man come to me that began to disciple me. He came to me and he called things out in me and he called me up towards disciple making in ways that I didn't even know I could do. I didn't know it was possible. No one ever told me. He also called me fat and that's the only time in my life I've ever been called fat. He met faithful, available, and teachable. He taught me basic things about my life and he encouraged me to teach others. And you know what? I did. Not perfectly. Oh no. I had a lot of questions. I had my yellow belt on. But I gave away what had been given to me. And you know what? I still do that to this day. I purposefully enter into relationships to help others follow and obey Jesus. At all of our campuses, I wanna invite those of you who have been following Jesus for three years or more to stand up. So if you've been following Jesus for more than three years, right where you're at, just go ahead and stand at all of our campuses. And if you haven't or you're not following Jesus yet, don't worry, it's okay, stay seated, we want that. If you've been following Jesus for more than three years, stand up. And I wanna talk to you for a moment. It's a pretty good chance that most of you don't consider yourselves a black belt, and that's okay. You know who else didn't consider themselves a black belt? Every single one of Jesus' disciples, every pastor I know, every believer I know, and yours truly. But I also know something else about you. You're also not a white belt anymore. You've been here too long. God's done too much in your life to not give it away. Yellow belts, teach the white belts what you have learned. What has God said to you? What has he taught you in your time here? What have others poured into your life? And then who can you teach? Well, look around. We have 400 new white belts that just joined the club in the last few months. And there's people all around all of our rooms who have yet to take that step at all. There's a lot of people that we can invest our lives into. I wanna invite all of you to stand. If you're not standing yet at all of our campuses, go ahead and stand to your feet. For some of you, maybe you would say your life is not worth replicating. You've been traveling alone spiritually. You're not searching the scriptures for truth. You're accidentally or even purposefully not obeying Jesus's words. That's the beautiful thing about it being a new day today. That's the beautiful thing about God's grace is that you can start fresh today. Church, we have one life, one. And we're all gonna give account for it one day. Do you think the Lord will say to you, well done, you fulfilled the American dream. You accomplished great amounts of success and accumulated wonderful mounds of stuff. Now go enter your rest. Or will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. You followed me, 
You obeyed my words. You invested your life into the kingdom and into other people. Now go, enter your rest. The answer to that is largely based on our choice and steps that you can take today. And so take it. Jump in when you have the opportunity here in a month or so to to community and to some of those groups. Get on a team today. Give away what you have been given. Find some others and share hope and good news with them. Yellow belts, teach the white belts. And there's one last group of you I haven't addressed yet. And it's those of you who have yet to put your faith in this risen Messiah they call Jesus. I just want you to know this today, that he loves you. He really does. He died for you. He gave his life for you to set you free. Paid a debt you couldn't pay and offered you forgiveness that you couldn't earn. And he offers you a better way of living. So maybe you today are ready to take that step to join the countless others who profess their faith in another king, a king named Jesus. And if that's you today, wherever you're watching and wherever you're listening, I want to lead you to that place. And so we're going to pray specifically for you. So at all of our campuses, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's pray. And if you're ready to make that decision to follow the risen Lord Jesus, I want to lead you in this prayer. So just pray this with me. God, I am sorry. I'm sorry for sinning against you and not following your way. I ask for your forgiveness and I wanna turn my life around to follow you. I receive what you have done for me and I ask you, Lord, to be the center of my life. Lord, will you help me on this journey? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those who prayed that prayer today? If that's you, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Don't be the wildebeest on their own. Don't go away in isolation. Talk to our response team. Talk to me, some of our staff, someone at Info Central before you leave today and let them know that you are ready to follow Jesus. There is a better way for all of us. So church, let's travel together making disciples. Amen? Amen. Amen.